0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Hope you're getting through the week well. It's hump day. It's middle. In the traditional week, we're in the middle. So if things aren't going swimmingly, time to maybe recenter, readjust, readjust, uh, kind of settle into a different way of moving through the rest of the week. Uh, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so I'm really trying to zero in heavily on uh, what mental health is this week. We've been talking about it so far, and you know, throughout my sessions, uh, clinically, as I offer therapy still, I am reminded of some of the pitfalls or misunderstandings or myths, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday and also the day before, but I wanted to just reiterate quickly that remember, mental health is not the absence of sadness or anxiety or frustration. Mental health includes being depressed at times or anxious at times or sad at times. Mental health is the ability to feel all of your feelings, including the ones that we call bad, anxiety, depression, etc., etc. Mental health is not only the ability to feel them, but to feel them deeply and fully, but also to self-regulate around them. So again, their mere presence does not mean you're not mentally healthy. Their presence means you are mentally healthy if you're able to self-regulate, deal with them appropriately, drop down into them, but not be overwhelmed and not have them leaking out, creating problems. That's when they become a little, quote unquote, problematic or disordered. And that's when we want to work on it. But, you know, I was working with someone today and they just were saying, you know, my mental health isn't great. I'm feeling really sad. And I said, well, why does that mean your mental health isn't great? Are are we meant to just always have a painted on smile? That's robotic. That's dehumanized. That's actually not mental health at all. That's toxic positivity. This idea that we should always be happy and smiling. Like, No, that's not real. I worry about people that are always happy. They're just not feeling some things fully and deeply. Things happen that are worthy and should have the response of anger, frustration, depression, right? So just remember that. It's not the absence of symptoms, it's the ability to really sit in that stuff. So I wanted to open the show by just talking about some quick and easy ways we can really deal with stress. Um, Most mental health issues are a journey, they're things that have been with us for a long time. They're not just resolved with three quick easy steps but some things like better coping mechanisms around some factors are a little simpler. And so I wanted to just run through a few quick ways that we can just really adjust. Um, The first thing is something I've been talking a lot about and working with a radio station has really helped bring this into my life, the use of music therapeutically. I noticed not only that I've been spending time every day just zoning out to music, but I've also been building it in very quickly during difficult times. I always have headphones with me, even between therapy sessions. If I really need to shake off the emotions that I've internalized through my sessions, between patience I'll sometimes play bouncy happy music or something soothing and it helps us shift into a different state if you want to feel good you can play some bouncy happy music it helps usher us into that sometimes you want to sit deeper right so try music focusing on it can reduce some of our stress truly but explore different options maybe create different playlists that's also that's going to be very 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 helpful so think about that consider that Also, sometimes temperature change. And what you're going to notice is we're targeting the senses. Those are really powerful ways to bring ourselves back into our bodies or the moment, right? Or even to work with our nervous systems when they're overloaded. So putting a wet cloth on your face, maybe putting a warm cloth on your face, Maybe putting your hand under the cold water, grabbing a cold drink. That's a way to bring ourselves back and to ground ourselves and to really work through some stress. As you're noticing, these things are really simple, but they're quite powerful. Um, I also put this on my IG. I use essential oils. Grapefruit is a very joyful, enlivening scent. I put some 100% grapefruit oil on my hands, rub together, and I just put my face and inhale. And it soothes me, and it puts a smile on my face, and I start to build this association with joy. So you can use scents or candles, right? They might have experiences associated with them, or just enough them of in and of themselves. Also, slowing down our breathing. It's also something we naturally do, and I, and I try to focus on if I'm feeling overwhelmed or I need to ground myself in a difficult moment. Our breathing is the easiest, most powerful way to soothe our nervous system and calm and settle ourselves. Three very deep, slow breaths will really slow down your system. So if you feel yourself getting overwhelmed or activated or dissociated or too aggressive or aroused, and aroused I mean emotionally neurologically, we can breathe. Um, Another thing is just what we call physical anchoring, putting your bare feet on the ground, or even in shoes, just putting your feet on the ground, feeling the floor, driving your feet into the floor. What am I thinking, what am I feeling, what am I doing? right? And that can really bring us back. Notice, it's all about working with the body to bring ourselves back. And those are just a couple ways. But I always say to people, really check in on the senses. The senses give us powerful access to working with our mood or our psychology. But bigger than that, they bring us back into our bodies. And that's usually what the work is about, feeling safe and grounded back in and with ourselves. So take advantage of that. And I always offer that to individuals as well. Um, Okay, so... When we come back, we're going to be debunking some myths about bipolar. The other show, I think it was yesterday the day before, we were talking about uh, myths around schizophrenia. So when we come back, we'll be talking about that. And then, of course, we'll be doing some DMs. Um, and then later in the show, we're going to continue talking about ways to move towards better mental health. Uh, so stick around and join us. If you got a DM for us, though, as always, drop in our Loveline IG page in the DMs and uh, Chess past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. So uh, stick around, we're gonna be centering mental health. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about myths around mental health. Today we're specifically talking a little bit about bipolar disorder. I see film and movies, even social norms and pop psychology, severely stigmatizing and misunderstanding this. We sling these terms around a lot. Um, so there's def- a lot of myths around bipolar, and uh, mania, which is one of the features, is uh, not this elated, enjoyable, productive state. And some people will misuse mania as though it's some you know beneficial, pleasurable thing. It's actually a sense of dysregulation and overwhelm. Um, and treatment is available, and a lot of people live very fulfilling lives. We talked about, in an earlier show, some of the celebrities that have come out and discussed them struggling with bipolar disorder, like Demi Lovato and Catherine Zeta-Jones, and they live full, full competent lives. And that's the whole thing I wanna get through is that mental health, part of the stigma, the reason why people don't get the uh, resources they need or the care they need or even acknowledge it publicly is because they always think, what will people think of me? They'll think I'm dangerous. They'll think I'm mentally ill. They'll think I'm not competent. And again, respectability politics. They won't take me seriously as a professional or as a parent or as a teacher. Forgetting that many people have these disorders, they go unrecognized and untreated, and that's far worse than acknowledging and knowing. That's part of mental health is people acknowledging what their work is Doing that work. We don't want to slam people for that. That again prevents, you know, presents barriers and prevents people from getting the treatment. Uh, So, bipolar disorder, based on stats right now, it affects about 3% of the US population, adults. That's not a large number, right? But nonetheless, um, it's very misunderstood a lot of people think that it's about this rapid cycling or alternating or ping-pong pulling back and forth between moods Like I'm really sad and then seconds later. I'm really happy and I'll hear people say that. Oh, they're so bipolar That's not what it is. It's not this momentary switch back and forth It's not this grounded person that's happy and then the next minute. They're sad. It's not what we're talking about We're talking about an extreme disorder around emotional functioning very different, right? So this mood disorder is much more complicated than that. It's not that roller coaster that a lot of people think it is, right? Um, and that leads to, again, stereotype stigma and people not getting the needed treatment, okay? So then what actually is it? Um, well, first misconception, again, is that this manic episode, these manic phases, that they're fun, enjoyable, productive. Um, it's one of the most defining characteristics of bipolar is the mania, right? Otherwise, we're just left with the depression and that would be me, me, you know more major depression Um, But the mania comes with it a lot of, um, uh, um, uh, how do I say like uh, distractibility, uh, pressured, intense speech, flight of ideas, uh, big, powerful waves of increased energy. Um, And and even though there can be some um, enjoyment of those experiences, think about what kind of behaviors those moods would lead to and then the negative impacts and outcomes of that you know excessive and dangerous driving, shopping, drug use, all sorts of things can come from that. And so they're overloaded with stress and discomfort as a result of that. That's not this happy person who's drinking too much caffeine walking around. This is someone who's struggling with that uh sensitivity and system arousal. Um another misconception. Um and again some of this is coming from psychology today. So thank you all for putting some of this out there cuz I think this is really important um, bipolar disorder is just another term for extreme moodiness. Again, that's not true. It's not just someone who's like profoundly moody and then happy. Right. And again, that's what they think it is. It's like ricocheting or ping pong ball of moods very quickly. And it's not, um, it's not that one minute they're this, the next minute they're that. So as a result of that, um, it's very, it's, it's underdiagnosed and under acknowledged. And the fact is that for some, it can happen twice a year, once a year, max, maybe three times, but usually less than that. And the depression is sometimes maybe only one or two episodes that year as well. So remember, it doesn't have to be this consistent ongoing thing for it to be clinical or or diagnosable, right? But we always think in terms of the movies, it's extreme ongoing examples where day by day, minute by minute, someone's ping pong going back and forth. That's more about someone just being really moody or, or dysregulated emotionally, right? Someone who's not really able to cope with their own experience. Um, another misconception, that bipolar disorder is similar to dissociative identity disorder. I haven't actually ever heard that. I was surprised to see in a couple articles I was looking at that that was kind of brought up. Um, so that's that's a little odd to me. I haven't really seen that, so... We're all gonna kind of roll our eyes at that one together. Um, another misconception bipolar disorder sparks creativity. I hear this a lot with artists. I do work with some artists and they say to me, I'm afraid to get medicated. I'm afraid to get into therapy. I'm afraid to get sober because they believe that this mood struggle or their uh, addiction, right? Their, their relationship with drugs or alcohol, that that is part of what's sparking their creativity. I think at best... It might allow defenses to drop and it might allow them to access certain parts of themselves more so, but that's available outside of those states as well. I think that that's more a consistent core part of them that we can find other ways to access. But bigger than that, if you're a relationship to drugs and alcohol or bipolar, it's going to be creating negative outcomes. So even if there's some benefits, those negative outcomes, in my experience, traditionally will outweigh any benefit. And so it still just does not become worth it. Right? So we don't want to glamorize this. These there people that are really struggling and in a lot of distress? If you saw these people before you, you wouldn't think, oh, this is something that's beneficial. This person should hold on to this it creates a lot of conflict and problem in their life. You know, um, they don't have clear thought patterns in these states. They don't have organized thought. Right? Um, so again, it's going to hinder, you know, and I see that also with people with the drug and alcohol use related to their art and creativity. I think it hinders. I think it can really get in the way um, as opposed to having this, you know, powerfully positive beneficial impact. So anyway, um, yeah, we'll check in on that. We'll check in on another one tomorrow. Um, okay, so coming up next, we're going to talk about some of the ways we can start moving towards better mental health. Um, I think we all need to understand the vision and the goal. And that's why I keep trying to push back on these misdefinitions or better yet the problematic ways that we define these mental health issues and struggles. Um, I think stigma is probably one of the biggest ones. I'm just trying to run my head through a couple years of experience. And yeah, I think that's what really holds a lot of people back is what will this mean? What will this mean to my life and those around me if I really step into and identify with some of these struggles, but that, that also allows help. Um, okay, I'm rambling. Uh, we're gonna take a little break and when we come back, like I said, we're gonna be talking about ways to move towards mental health. So stick around and join us and then of course DM. So if you got a DM for us, always anonymous, always confidential, drop it in the uh, DMs on our IG page. We'll be back. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back talking about ways to take care of our mental health bam aren't we always talking about that (laughs) oh my gosh um Mental Health Awareness Month though, I love that we have that, and I hope that everyone's really using it as a time to stop and check in with themselves and them around, and those around them saying, how's your mental health? We can ask ourselves that, and those that are important to us, right? Because that's the way we really let them know, no, I actually mean that, I'm actually serious. I'm not just doing pleasantries, you know what I mean? Um, So make sure you're asking people that. Hey, how's your mental health been today? How is it this week? Not that we're trying to fix it, right? Mental health will mean, at times, saying I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm anxious okay, cool. Like, Let's talk about it. Let's sit in it. right? Let's process. Let's share. Don't need solutions. Don't need to know the right thing to say or to say anything at all. We just need someone to bear witness, someone to be our companion in it. Because a lot of these things aren't resolvable. Sometimes it's tied to nothing. Other times it is tied to something. And then you can also lovingly say to someone like, hey, do you want to talk about solutions? I have some ideas. And they might say, no, I just want you to sit in it with me and agree that this really stinks. Or they'll say, yeah, how can I maybe be more resilient or how can I better allow myself to be in this or, you know, what changes can I make? Um, but don't don't enter thinking that we need a solution and we need to remove the pain as quickly as possible because sometimes it's not possible, other times it's really not being empathetic and and, and other times it's not even needed, right? Um, so anyway, uh, but what are the things we wanna center, right? Well, we are, again, we're normalizing and we're allowing our diverse emotional and psychological experience, right? We're not trying to fix everything. We're not trying to get rid of everything. We understand that the way out is, is by going in. We want to drop down into these emotions. It's okay to feel things. We don't have to get rid of everything or water it down. Sometimes we just confront it head on. We're going all the way in, right? I really want people to work on being better about that. not always brushing it off, shutting it down, putting a smile on our face. Don't always hand people a box of tissues right away and tell them it's going to be okay. That's a way to sometimes shut them up. Sometimes that communicates that I don't want to sit in this with you. And people are afraid enough as it is, especially socially. Right? So we're allowing, we're allowing. I kept saying last year, my goal last year was to cry more and to cry more in public and to normalize. I can feel sad. (laughs) You know, Uh, we don't have to be afraid of that. We don't have to get rid of it. Um, also, we're, we're allowing and embracing sometimes nothingness and rest and uh, peace, and we're trying to slow down. I think that's what we learned from COVID. More and faster is not always better. We need to slow down, go internal more, right? We're kind of, we're trying to heal, we're trying to rest. I think a lot of us looked around and realized this is the first time maybe we had some peace and silence or quiet. Others, it was amplified because there's more people around, more people at home, things got harder, right? But either way, I hope we realize that we need to slow down. We were doing too much, we were moving too fast, and that wasn't serving anyone. Also, I've been trying to preach this over and over, whether we're talking about sex or relationships or psychology, good enough is good enough. We're not trying to be best or perfect anymore, but we're really living that. Like We're really embodying that. We're not just making it a cliche or catchphrase. We're really trying to just allow good enough to be good enough right? A B plus is passing and that's what we're going for. A C plus or a B minus. We're being kinder on ourselves and those around us. I will keep saying that, right? We're not burning ourselves out. We're getting out of grind culture and hustle culture and we're centering more peace and rest and pleasure. That's why I keep trying to remind everyone, self-care, pleasure and joy and more rest. Um, also we're bringing in the senses. We talked about that in the earlier segment. We're looking at what am I smelling? What am I hearing? Like all those things matter for our mental health and they create healing spaces. I started to really zero in on that during the pandemic. Like what kinds of things am I smelling or not smelling? What kinds of things am I hearing? I brought in music. I brought in essential oils. I brought in candles. I paid attention to lighting. I was lowering the lighting. I found it more soothing and peaceful for me. Like we're really paying attention to all that and thinking that we're worth that. That's part of self-care is how do I feel in these environments around me? What are some changes I can make? I also started bringing a lot of plants and I wanted to have more connection consistently to nature. I wanted fresher air and my home. That's what the plants provided. Started opening my windows more, making sure every day I went for some walk in sunlight. Like we're really checking in on that, right? All the different senses. What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Do you need to paint the walls? Do you need to hang some things up? What are some things you can surround yourself with that bring you joy, that make you happy? Put a smile on your face, right? We're, we're doing more of that. These small, tiny joys. These aren't big interventions. They're small things, right? Trying to laugh more. Imagine if we set that goal for the day or the week or the month. I wanna laugh more, I wanna find more humor in things. I wanna be more lighthearted around those things that are worthy of that, right? Also, we're making room for all of our feelings. We keep talking about that. We don't need to box them out, push them out, minimize them, we can just allow and sit in them, right? We're holding space for that. We're also holding space for the grief that we're still going through, right? It's not over for a lot of people. Some people, the vaccine, bam, all's well, but for others, not so much. There's still a journey ahead. They're still in their journey, right? We're also trying to realize that there's more to come. I think that's the final landing point, you know? Um, Realizing that this isn't it and that we're gonna be stepping into hopefully a new and better world. Not all of us, not in all ways, but how can we just be a part of at least creating that in our home, in our sanctuary, in our space, right? Doing the best we can um all right coming up next we're gonna be doing some dms if you got a dm for us drop it in our loveline ig page whatever you want to know about parenting family sex dating relationships gender whatever you got we got it we got the answer always anonymous always confidential and uh past episodes of loveline over at we are scroll down click on my face bam they're all there so stick around you're listening to loveline with dr chris on the new channel q and on odyssey All right, we're back. It's, uh, God, corny. And uh, now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, tonight's question says Hey, Dr. Chris, I work at an auto body shop, a profession that is mainly men, but I'm a female and I've accepted the things that come with working in this business. Props to you for doing your thing, no matter what it means, gender role wise. And uh, before we even get in your question, Uh, don't accept the things that come with this business. That's crap that, um, that there's this idea that, oh, it's always been a, you know, a a male, a cis hetero male kind of business. And so things are the way they are. Well, guess what? It's 2021 and crap's going to change. Push for change. Any space I enter, any project I'm a part of, I bring me and my ethics. I'm not following other people's rules or going down the old traditional ways of sexism, misogyny, homophobia. You you invite me to speak somewhere. I'm going to be talking about trans rights, gay rights, kink shaming, sex positivity. Bring your true self. Change things. Make it safer for the people coming behind you. If we keep participating in the same problematic systems in the same problematic ways, it doesn't change. It's not good for us. It's not good for those behind us. So I applaud you for stepping in. But like. Call stuff out, shake it up, create some good troubles, they say. However, some of the guys will talk about oh here we go. Some of the guys will talk about the LGBTQ plus community and almost make fun of it. They know I'm a lesbian, and I know they aren't doing it maliciously, but they come off ignorant. Um, it is malicious. <laughs> Their intent might not be, but the impact is, and impact matters. It doesn't matter what you meant to do. If you hurt someone, people need to apologize and fix it, you know? Let them know. It hurts me when I hear you say that. I don't care what you meant. It hurts. Stop. Bam, end of story. Um, is there an easy way to talk to them about this? No, you have to call it out when it happens, saying, hey, I'm gonna ask you not to talk like that. It's hurtful to me and to people I care about. Please stop. Yeah. I also don't wanna sit them down for a talk, you said, but there has to be a way to stand up for myself without putting a target on my back. I, I don't know. I, I want there to not have to be a target on your back. I can't speak to that part, but you gotta call it out firmly when it happens and say, listen, that's not okay. That's violence. And I'm gonna ask you to not talk that way around me and you shut that stuff down. Yeah, because I think you're, you know, often our silence is permission giving, you know, and I I can't even imagine what it must be be like for you, excuse me, to be there by yourself as a woman in this cis hetero rough environment that's often misogynist and sexist. And I'm not saying the auto body world is that I'm saying cis hetero worlds that aren't very uh, accommodating to diverse people are that. And this looks like it's one of those things. So look, it's you know, it, it it actually is your job to create change. It's everyone's job. So everyone is accountable to creating change. I'm sorry, we all need to be activists. Enough is enough. You know, I'm looking at articles every single day about gay people getting murdered, raped, robbed, acid thrown in their face, barred from marriage thrown in jail for being in a couple, being in a a relationship. Yeah, we need to get loud, man. We need to take to the streets. We need to shut it down. Be an ally. You know, I'm I'm saying that to everyone. It's not acceptable. We need to call out the problematic things. If we stay silent during an injustice, you then are part of the problem. You are signing off on it. I know these spaces aren't always safe. I know it's not always comfortable. We have to make people uncomfortable. There's no clean, easy way to tell someone they're being a homophobe. (laughs) it isn't a comfortable thing to say or to be told. We do it anyway, you know? It's like breaking up with someone. I've shared this with you all before, and people are like, what's the, you know, I don't want to hurt their feelings. How do I break up with them? You can't. You're you are go, you're doing something hurtful. It, it's They're going to feel that. We do it anyway. So it's more about how do I get the courage to do it? Well, we do things even when we're scared, right? And we just ground ourselves in our power, and we remind ourselves of what this is about, and that there's a purpose, and we just do it. And if they care for you and they respect you, you only need to do it once, maybe twice, but you have a right to be there just as much as they do. And if um, that level doesn't work, then yeah, you gotta go higher up the power chain and say this is an unsafe environment. Some places have protections, some places don't, but... um yeah, there's no easy way, but it needs to be done. So please do it. Everyone behind you will thank you. And more people want to get in some of these industries, but they're not safe. So I'd love for you to be part of helping make that change. But even bigger than that, to all the people that are part of the problem, knock it off. She See, here's the thing. She shouldn't have to be the one to do it. Unfortunately, she's going to have to because everyone else in that auto body shop has kept their mouth shut and hasn't said anything. But like, if I was in there, I'd be like, yo, dudes, she shouldn't have to advocate for herself. You're creating an unsafe environment, and each guy should be calling each other out. Remember, straight people are responsible for ending homophobia because straight people are the ones that have started it, implement it, benefit from it, and sustain it. Just like white people are responsible for racism. Black people didn't create racism. White people did. It's our job to stop it, shut it down, and call it out. Right? So, like that's a call to action to the straight people. I mean, all right. <laughs> Back to business. Coming up next, we're talking about social media. So stick around and join us. For listening to Love Line, Dr. Chris, the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. We're talking about social media and health. I'm telling you, I have this slide. I wish I could like drop it in all of your brains. Um, and I and I put up on the screen when I travel and I do my lectures. And it's someone sitting in front of the TV and their brain, their heads open, and essentially something's coming out of the TV and going into their brain. And what it's really powerfully trying to communicate is the idea that we're open systems. We're sponges and we're absorbing everything around us consistently. And we have to pay attention based on we're talking about mental health, our moods, emotions. We have to pay attention to what are the songs we're hearing? What are the conversations we're around? What are we watching on television, right? What do we look at on social media? What, what is that reinforcing? What is that telling me? What, it, 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 we are, our mental health is desperately and powerfully tied to that. There was a time when your family was like the biggest socializer and then school. Now it's social media, you know, social media has such a foothold in norms and values of our culture, but more importantly, also our mental health. So some people are like, oh, just get off of it. I'm seeing a lot of people deleting their accounts, but you know, some people struggle. They might have issues with it, but they don't want to a hundred percent just quit. So what are the things we can do? What are the steps we need to take so as to have a better, healthier relationship to it? Because it's something maybe we want in our lives because there is educational pages because we do like keeping up with our friends in that way because it's fun. Like, that's a good enough answer. I'm reminding you of that. Whatever we're talking about, it's same, say because it's fun sometimes. That's good enough. Also because it helps us distract, you know, can bring joy in our lives. Um, but what are the things we want to do? Well, first off, narrow down the amount of apps. There are so many at this point that the amount of time and energy you could spend posting on all of them, checking in on all of them, it's over. It's overload, right? We have Facebook. These are the popular ones because there's more. So right now we have what? We have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, TikTok, Snapchat. Those would be the top ones I'm aware of. Um, And then we have, of course, the sex and dating apps. That's a lot of information. That's a lot of resources and moments throughout the day that are gonna positively or negatively impact you. That each one of those is impacting your mental health. Is it beneficial or is it negative? Again, what kinds of messages are you hearing? It matters. Are they reinforcing the kinds of ethics and values that are important to you? Is it telling you that you're of worth? Or is it the opposite? Is it something that's actually holding you accountable to things you don't agree with or believe in? Is it making you feel bad, right? We're checking it before, during, and after. How do I feel before I go on? How do I feel during, and how do I feel after? I shared with you all once that our iPhones tell us how much screen time we've put in. It's scary. It can be horrifying. It's a cycle look through one and then you're swooping through the others. I've watched people spend hours just cycling through all of them. It's really horrifying. So anyway, you might not be ready to get rid of everything. You might not even need to, get rid of some, get rid of the amount of time you're engaging them, right? Um, also, be thoughtful about the way you're engaging them. Are you using it to get yourself worked up and you're picking a fight with everyone and everything? Is everything a battle or are you meaningfully and happily engaging? For your own mental health, don't step into battles. Usually it's not even a constructive, true intervention that was done, right? And so just for your own mental health, when in doubt, just keep scrolling, right? Or leave thoughtful, loving, supportive comments. Because also, yes, I want you to consider, because yes, you are responsible for how you impact others, the mental health of the person on the receiving end. If it's something unjust, unjust, call it out. But if it's something that disappoints you, frustrates you, or lets you down, you don't agree with, you can just keep your mouth closed for your mental health and theirs. You know, it does matter, we do wanna look at the impact we're having on others and it's having on us, right? So think about just being more positive. Follow things that you support, right? We shouldn't be following things that trigger us or make us out unhappy anyway. It's a sign to unfollow, you know? Um, I think that's a bad sign if you're constantly going on tough to fight or constantly being on leads to fights. That's a misuse on all ends, um, I stopped doing that a long time ago. I battle no one. I'll block you before I battle you, because I'm providing information. I'm trying to help people build community, but I'm not a punching bag. You know what I mean? It's it's a it's a you don't have the right to my page. You're you know I'm offering it, and if you misuse that, I block you. Because for my mental health and yours, it's not it's not to be a, it's not to be a place for fighting. There's enough of that in the world. Also, I love this one. Turn off the push notifications. You don't want to constantly be interrupted with people telling you what they're doing or what they're up to. You want to be in control of that boundaries, impulse control. You'll look at it when you decide you have the time and willingness to look. You know, I have all that stuff turned off. Everything's on silent. When I'm ready, I decide where and I decide what and for how long I go and I look at something. I think that's important. God bless these other things that have come out of this. Things like hate following. Are you kidding? Don't follow people you're not supportive of. Don't follow your rivals. You don't need to be shown what you're doing or not doing. You don't need to be made to feel bad. And again, you shouldn't be using someone else's page as a way to make them feel bad, right? So don't hate follow someone. Follow people whose work you enjoy, people who you value and things that make you feel good, period. But there are some people that as they're swiping, they're feeling bad, they're they're saying, you know, they're comparing... Or again, they're following someone that they don't like and they're just using it as a place to pick a fight. That's not healthy for you or them. You know what I mean? Like, We wanna get better about that. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna keep talking about better ways to manage our social media. Um, we should be managing it, not having it manage us. You know what I'm talking about? It's a resource that should have a neutral to positive impact on us. It was not developed or created to make our lives harder or more difficult. So like, really think about that. I say that about dating and relationships as well. They should be work, but not a lot of work. And if we're talking about social media use, only positive, truly. Challenging things, but a positive challenge. All right, y'all, stick around. Uh, you're listening to Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. right, oh, right, we're back and we're talking about social media use. We're talking about ways to just use it, not have it use us, ways to make it healthier. Again, social media wasn't created or downloaded on our phones to make our lives harder, more difficult, more complex, or to feel bad, right? And I want us to take responsibility for how we feel, but also how we're making the people on the page feel. The creator of the account, also individuals utilizing the account. It shouldn't be a battlefield. And if you're using it as a place to act out your anger and aggression, you're misusing it, and you're harming a lot of people. People offer up their labor on social media to help educate, to help build community. It's not to make someone you're there, you're punching bags. So again, I block anyone that comes aggressive or starts name calling, that's not what it's here for. My mental health matters first, right? So we're narrowing down the apps, we have too many, right? We're only commenting nice things or calling out injustices but we're not just randomly mouthing off about annoyances, right, we're turning off push notifications so we're not overloaded and interrupted at the wrong times when we're not interested or ready or getting pulled in. We're not hate following, We're following people's work we like, people who we want to support, people that bring us joy, right? We're not following rivals. We're not following frenemies. We're not following things that annoy us or upset us. That is not the purpose or the point. And again, unfollow, mute, circle back and follow again at another time. It's okay to realize this certain person, this certain person's work, this time right now, it's really hard to see this. I'm not doing as well, I'm comparing or whatever it is we're talking about. But really check in with yourself. Again, mental health first. How does this said thing impact my mental health? It's okay to mute. It's okay to unfollow. It's okay to take a break. I want people to take more time away, off and away from their phone. Follow new, better accounts. Realize that you want to follow things that put a smile on your face. There's tons of things like that. Follow accounts that educate you. Follow accounts that inspire you, right? Follow accounts that tell you and help hold you accountable to being a better person, the kind of person you want to be. I, I said this to uh, the individuals in a group I used to run therapeutically. I'd say, show me your phone and you show me your mental health. I'll look at what you're following and I'll have a better understanding of what your brain's consuming and how you're you know impacted. We used to do this great exercise. Maybe do this right now. Write down the apps you follow, write down some of the accounts you look at the most or follow, look at the themes of the kinds of things you follow and ask yourself, how do I think this is impacting me? I'm, I'm only following workout accounts. How might that be serving me or working against me? I'm only following fashion accounts. How might that be working for me or against me? How about these specific accounts? Do they make me feel good or bad when I look at them? Are they actually motivating? Are they actually inspiring? Or do they actually make me feel worse than shame, guilt, lack, that is not the point. Because sometimes we, we mislead ourselves and we say, oh, it's inspiring me to you know, go to the gym more. But I actually realize upon looking at it, I feel bad when I'm looking at this. Well, then get rid of it, delete it, block it, mute it, whatever it is, Right? is. We're, we're looking at the impact on our mental health. Um, and I'm saying follow things that better speak to who you are, who you want to be, or more importantly, follow things that build the kind of world you want to be a part of or the kind of ways you want to think. I surround myself with the things that challenge me to think within the ethics that I really wanna continue to hold on to, because the culture at large doesn't have them. We are still far too self-centered, we are still far too individualistic, we still tie worth and value to what people produce, how much money they make, what their body looks like. None of that's true, none of that's real, so we have to find things that challenge that, that sit in opposition to that, that inspire us to see the world in better, healthier ways, right? I don't follow anything that makes me feel bad. I can go through everything I'm following and let you know the positive or neutral impact it has on me. I've unfollowed friends because they're posting things that aren't part of my worldview. I don't wanna see their gym, their shirtless gym pick every day. That doesn't bring up anything meaningful or interesting to me. I find that quite boring and dull, right? My, my time and focus is spent on other things. I don't wanna see that. And I've told them that. It creates body shame. It makes me start to think in those terms and I'm not interested in that. I don't follow them. I, I own it, I'm honest. My mental health matters, yeah. Some friends were upset about that. And I was like, if you posted things that made me feel good or more aligned with how I want to see the world, how I want to think and feel, I'd follow you. You know, I'm very thoughtful about that. I'm very thoughtful about what my brain consumes, 100%. Um, Setting boundaries around use, time boundaries. How long you were able to go on for. That's amazing. Set a time boundary. I'm gonna go on for 15 minutes. And whatever I look at or do in 15 minutes is great. And then we're gonna go back to participating in the rest of my life, you know? But time boundaries are great. Some people, the amount of time that goes by, time's wasted, time's burnt, you know? And again, like I said, not even feeling great. Space boundaries, right? I talk to couples about that all the time. Have phone use, for some people, they need to have phone use used in only certain areas because it's too accessible. It becomes a block, gets in the way. So I say then plug your phone in, in the bedroom, and if you need to go look at something, put whatever you're doing on pause, go in there, still plugged into the wall, use it while standing there, do what you need to do, and then put it down and come back. But to have it available with you anywhere, everywhere, allows it to maybe be the center point and to steal time and focus. Use it in a designated phone area only. You know, it's also like I said to people about one thing at a time. If you're gonna go on your phone, pause the TV show, be on your phone when you're done, put it down and go back and watch the TV show. Same thing with conversations, you're not multitasking anymore. Hey, give me one second, I need to check this or I'm on my phone, I'll be with you in a moment. One thing at a time. We're no longer expecting people to be second in line or to talk to us while we're distracted, right? So I like that. Time boundaries for how long and when Space boundaries, making certain areas off limit to phone, no phones at the table at all, leave them in another room. Maybe the living room, same thing, no phones in the living room. If you need to look at something or check something, go in your room, do it, and then come back and join us. But the living room is for us to have a shared experience, to make eye contact, to start conversations, to be, again, sharing the experience of watching the show together. That's very different than if people are all separately on their phones, that is not a shared experience, they're not easily accessible, and we're not able to just talk about what we're all looking at because we're looking at something different, right? So I love that, space boundaries, it's a good one. And then I also like this one, this is something someone brought up to me, content boundaries, where maybe you know social media is only a place for news, you only follow news things. Maybe social media is only rooted in hobbies and crafts and you follow that for new ideas. Maybe it's whatever, and I know I curated mine, mine's for the purpose of specific things, right? I don't just have anything flying in. So it's really just about being more conscious and intentional, you know? So, all right, y'all, that is that. Uh, DMs, as always, they're on our Loveline IG page. Confidential Anonymous, whatever you're wondering about, drop them in there. We're here to answer you in uh, past episodes over at wearechannelq.com and uh, just try to apply some things we're talking about. I think it's really important that you write them down, take notes and apply it. That's how we internalize all these tips and make them ours. All right, so stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. And uh, I wanted to kind of share something that I think is meaningful, also funny. Uh, This is very uh, heterocentric, cis-heterocentric. It was a study that looked at what are the key elements of things that quote unquote women want while in a relationship? What kind of things are women looking for in a partner? Um, Again, there's a lot of problems with this understanding of this universal woman. I don't know what that is or who that is, but I thought this was meaningful what came out of it. Because I work with a lot of individuals and I hear a lot of individuals out in the world really struggling to meet what they think a partner wants. And I really like where this led us. What you're gonna hear, I think there's some interesting points in here, but I think what I want you to walk away with acknowledging is that nowhere in this did they talk about height, weight, how much money they have. And that's what I see a lot of clients struggling with. Not that that isn't real. I, I also sadly hear that brought up with single individuals on the dating apps or out in the world looking to date and they're talking about how tall they need to be or body size or how much money they need to make. And none of that really is tied to the quality of relationship, You know, none of that's tied to the quality of the relational satisfaction that can come. We get hung up on that. A lot of times it's from our ego. Or it's from this idea of imaginary audience. What will people say? Well, they'll say nothing. No one cares. No one's watching you. And it's really an elementary way of moving through the world where we wanna make sure our partner fits a type or needs to look a certain way so we can be perceived a certain way. Don't, you know, we wanna back away from having our ego tied to performing normativity, right? Or having our partner have to fit into a mold so as to be seen as acceptable for us to be seen as the way we wanna be seen. So, what are the traits? That this study brought forth, and they broke it into categories um, around integrity, around relationality, and ro- around roma- uh, excuse me, romantic satisfaction. And again, I want you to hear what these qualities are. What's really beautiful about it is they really fell under uh, characterological traits. It wasn't based in the physical, it wasn't based in the financial or material. And I, I was so happy to see that. That's not everyone. We have a lot of work to do around that. However. I thought this was great the first one around the integrity piece was someone who's good with open communication honesty and takes responsibility for their behavior so basically they're talking about maturity this person has the confidence and ability to really talk about what's going on for them and to really hear what's going on for someone else and again is willing to take responsibility for themselves and how they impact others love that then under the relational piece uh someone who has empathy and compassion Again, that's outward, it's about how they treat and perceive others, love that. Friendship, they want someone that they can build a true friendship with. Emotional maturity, they want someone who's regulated, right? understands what relational expectation should be and doesn't have a lot of jealousy, toxic monogamy ideas. Um, And finally, validating a partner's experience. They want someone who isn't gonna battle right or wrong, someone who's open to someone having their own ideas that might differ from their partner, someone who can hold that space that we don't need to agree, we don't need to see eye to eye. And that kind of circles back. If they have the empathy and the compassion and emotional maturity, and they're really centering friendship, that can happen. And that's what a lot of couples work is, reminding individuals to come back to that friendship, right? Because in a relationship, you should be on the same side or on the same team. It shouldn't be oppositional. That's when you've lost yourselves. Why are we not looking out for how we impact each other? Why are we not considering how our partner feels? That's the us and the we. Because when you get in a relationship, you move away from the I and the me. Everything now is a system. What you do and think and feel impacts each other. And we we take that into account, right? That's that, again, that compassion, that's the maturity that's validating our partner's experience, really important. And then finally, under the romantic satisfaction, I love this, uh, they want someone that brings a sense of adventure and excitement, I love that. They want their life essentially to become made bigger and better because someone entered it, someone to go out and do stuff with, right? They're not looking for someone that makes their life smaller or makes them feel controlled or inadequate. Uh, They also say they want someone who shows acts of love. Love that. I think that's really meaningful. I thought this was interesting. um, They want someone who doesn't make everything about sex. I appreciate that. I don't know exactly what that means. I can make some assumptions. Um, I do want, People do understand that if you're in a monogamous relationship, your partner's sexuality is limited by your limits. And we wanna be aware of that and thoughtful about that. We don't want, again, our presence in someone's life to make their life smaller or harder or more difficult. So choosing and requesting monogamy is you making a commitment that you're open to having sexuality. We can't ask for monogamy, then opt out of sex, thereby forcing celibacy on someone. Our partner has a right to say, I can't honor monogamy then if sex isn't available, right? So. The choice of monogamy is somewhat of a commitment to help perform sexuality or allow a partner to have access to some form. Otherwise, it's not healthy for that couple to be monogamous. And finally, they said sexual activities that are geared towards pleasing both partners. Again, I think that's phenomenal because a lot of people in traditional cis-hetero relationships, it, sex is generally geared towards the man's orgasm and, uh, and then sex is done. And it's not always a focus on, well, what does my partner want? What does my partner need? Have they orgasmed? Now it's my time to stick around and help them um, engage in the continued sexuality that maybe they want, need, or desire, right? It's about both parties. So I love those traits. Again, I love the idea that it's more characterological. it's more rooted in integrity, and it wasn't all these physical ego wish lists. So, good stuff. Um, all right, so coming up next, we are gonna be sliding back into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, as always, drop it in our Loveline IG page, in the DMs and to uh, check out past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Just scroll on down, look for my face, click on it. Bam, there they all are, post, share, binge. And uh, while there, check out some of the other shows we got. But uh, stick around, we'll be back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Tonight's question is, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Joseph. Currently live with my boyfriend of four years. Kind of hitting a point in our relationship where I feel like this is going to be forever. Or I need to move on. All right. (laughs) I'm ready to settle down. But my boyfriend still wants to travel and explore and spend money on going out. Okay, cool. He should. I told him there's a balance point to this, but he doesn't see it. I don't either. I'm not really 100% what you're saying. I don't know why you might need to move on if he still wants to travel and explore and go out sometimes. That's odd to me. I don't get that part. Um, I'm afraid to ask him if he sees us long-term but four years is long enough for someone to make that decision. Am I being selfish for wanting that kind of answer now? I guess I'm not really understanding the full scope of the problem. Why can't you still be with someone who wants to travel, explore and spend money on going out? Do they, why do they need to give all that up in order to present as ready for wanting something more? Um, but sure, I mean, yeah, four years is a long time. It's appropriate for you to say, what is, what is your interest? <laughs> what do you see as the next step? Where do you want this to go? But even if he says, yeah, I'm fully committed, I want this to be long-term. I have to push back when people say forever, no one can promise forever, no one should have to, because they can't. Because if something goes wrong and it becomes toxic or you become problematic, they should leave, right? Um, But I guess I'm zeroing more in again on, yes, four years is enough time where you should feel comfortable that they've gotten to know you and have a sense of what it's like to be with you. And they could say that they wanna be with you longer. No one, again, can commit to forever. That's just not possible, nor is that a fair expectation to put on someone. but uh, I'm not making the connection as to why they can't still travel and explore. That's a healthy relationship, where they say, great, I'm with you, I love you, and yes, I will sometimes wanna go see the world and then come back and and to you, or you can come with me or whatever it is. I don't know why they're exclusive. They should be mutually inclusive. Right. Um, but yes, he should say, no, if you say to him, how do you, where do you see us going? And I need you to what, not, not travel anymore. Like then he should be like, yeah, we're not compatible. That's controlling. You're setting rules. Adults don't put rules on each other. You know what I mean? There, There should be more trust and respect. So I'm a little thrown off by your question, but um, I'll zero in more on uh, four years is plenty of time to ask someone what what their interest is. Um, do you guys live together now? I guess you can not put that in there. Because again, I want to remind people, oftentimes every people will have exactly what they want. They're living together. They're uh, exclusive. They're committed. It's very serious. And so it's like, cool. But yet, they really need to push for these symbolic things that others might not be ready for. And yet the person wanting the symbolic further form or sign of commitment is already getting everything they want, but yet they want this ring, right? Or they want marriage and they're willing to give up on the amazing thing, right? With this person that they're willing to get married to, but because the person isn't ready for marriage, even though they have the exact life they want, and this person that they care enough about to be willing, that they're willing to marry them, they'll get rid of all of it because they're not willing to hang in there a little bit longer because they're hung up on this one thing, such as a ring or marriage, which is a big deal to people. And they should be given the time they need. And what is the rush? And what are you afraid of? If you're already getting all your needs met, you're living together and you're happy and you're committed, well then, you don't actually need anything more. You're just anxiously wanting to go through a social symbolic process, which is fine. But if you're willing to throw someone out over their willingness to do that, they should throw you out over the fact that you don't really understand what love, care, and commitment are, and that you're hung up on social norms more so than the actual person. If, if I was in a loving, committed relationship where we're monogamous, we're committed, we're living together, and they're like, yeah, but you won't marry me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that. And they're like, oh, well, then I might walk away. I'd be like, well, then you should, because you really aren't committed. You're not showing commitment. You're willing to bounce because I won't walk down an aisle and sign a, and sign a government contract with you. Like, then Go. You actually, you've reduced me down to nothing more than a ring. And that's offensive. It truly is. We have to not get hung up on this reification and the meaning we're inserting in these small gestures, which are really big to some people and it makes them anxious and it should, but you have to be as committed and show your commitment as much as you want it from them. So if you're going to bounce over a step that they won't take, well, then they should see that as a lack of commitment from you, right? It's mutually uh, reinforcing, there, y'all, you know what I mean? All right that is our show. We'll be back tomorrow. Goddamn DM for us dropping our Loveline AG page in the DMs and to check out past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. And tomorrow we're going to be talking about bam, 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 how to fight healthy, which is something we all can learn something from as well as the art of letting go. So stick around and join us tomorrow. You're listening to Loveline, Dr. Chris, have a great night. See you tomorrow.